0: Welcome to the Friendly Fire Podcast, a Navy SEAL Museum production. Hi, I'm Rick Kaiser, retired Navy SEAL Master Chief and Chief Operating Officer of the National Navy SEAL Museum here in Fort Pierce, Florida, the birthplace of the Navy SEALs. We are recording from inside the museum's own Mark V assault craft, and now I'm going to introduce my good friend, Tim Nichols.
1: Hello, everyone out there. I hope you enjoy this podcast. My name is Tim Nichols, retired Marine and professor at Duke University. I'm super excited to participate in this, and I think we have a lot of cool things to talk about.
0: Welcome, everybody, to the Friendly Fire Podcast. I'm Rick Kaiser, retired Navy SEAL Master Chief at the Navy SEAL Museum in Fort Pierce, uh, talking to my good friend Tim Nichols up in North Carolina. Uh, you can get our podcast on Apple Podcast or on the Navy SEAL Museum website www.navysealmuseum.org. Welcome. What do you think about the airstrike, actually, in yeah. uh, Syria? <clears throat> so... I mean, like I said, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, yeah. just to, to let people know. Um, you know, President Biden authorized some airstrike, uh, airstrikes on Ira- Iranian-backed, uh, what is it, Shiite militias yeah. in Syria. And um, I'm all about that. I've always been about it, um, because I think that's how you stop you know, them probing us, them attacking us, them feeling like they have the, uh, uh, not the right, the uh, ability to do it at any time they want. And I I think it's a good thing. I mean, but I'll, you know what? Finish that question first, then we'll get back to the other comment we were making about being hypocrites. But okay, that's a whole other subject.
1: Yeah, so I think the issue is that there isn't anything in law that allows the president to use military force against Iranian surrogate forces operating in the same space where we are. Now, in this case, yesterday, uh, they clearly justified by saying these are the same forces that killed a U.S. contractor uh, a, a couple weeks ago uh, while while uh, Biden was uh, still the president. So you might want to call it I think they could probably justify it under self-defense, but we're getting to the point now where uh, it doesn't seem like Congress is excited about sweeping more organizations under this bubble of who can be who can be targeted, and most uh, clearly is that Iran didn't do 9-11. Like it, and the, the, uh, the law that we have on the books basically says those who attacked on 9-11 or supported organizations or harbored people, they didn't do any of that, and so... Although we have 10 different variations of ISIS and 10 different variations of Al-Qaeda, the Iranian, the Shia side, has always been excluded. So when Trump took out Soleimani uh, in uh, about a year ago, uh, there was a lot of fervor about what are his authorities to do it? And Congress came and tried to pass legislation saying, Trump, you cannot go to war with Iran without our permission, you know, kind of like what the Constitution says. So... Um, there really isn't much difference, Rick, between what, what they did uh, yesterday or the day before and how they attacked Soleimani. One was in Syria. That matters. One was in Iraq. That matters. Um, but there's a lot of hesitance on the part of the American people to pick a fight with Iran. Uh, or the the chance of it escalating into us going to war with a country that has about two and a half times the population of Iraq and hates America even more. Like, we don't want to get into another $10 trillion war. So they're a little bit worried about this
0: type of aggressiveness. The tactical yeah, piece no. was simple.
1: You know, yeah. it was just shooting
0: a couple targets, right? Yeah, no, I, I totally... Uh, uh, believe it or not, I agree with you. Holy smokes. The... Um but not I, I and i'm and i'm in favor of the strike i think biden made the right choice um i just wasn't happy about like when trump did it everybody was against him and he was making the biggest yeah. mistake and he was drawing us in but now every it's okay it's okay now
1: well there is criticism uh, trust me uh there's a, a yeah. fair amount of talk on the hill today about what authorities were used and Typically, the president has a lot of authority if he, if he's claiming self-defense, but this was punitive. These people weren't in the attack. They were at a base, and that's different. You know, normally in that case, you have to have this hierarchy of authorities that, that you, you can use that uh, come from Congress, and he didn't have those. So it, I think it'll be a good discussion. I mean, I expect President Biden uh, to— uh, his honeymoon is just about over and i think that he'll start feeling the weight of being president and having very disappo- disappointed uh citizens on both sides that's that's what being president is right we don't have any we don't have any presidents who are just awesome uh you know no matter what in the last 20 years
0: no uh, yeah i don't know if ever but so well george nickname, washington yeah <laughs> well i guess even george washington had yeah. the issues right So that's where we have to tear all the statues down. But anyway, no way. So, what do you think uh, is behind this call uh, from? uh, There's some Democratic uh, Congress people that want um, Biden not to be the sole holder of the nuclear football. I mean, what do you? Why? Why? It seems like it's politically motivated. It's. It doesn't make any sense to me. It it is,
1: and uh, it's. It's based on Trump. It's based on the fact that he rattled the nuclear saber a few times, with North Korea specifically, and the fact that a lot of people said, you know, this guy is a populist hothead who uh, is whimsical in his behavior, he's unpredictable, sometimes that's good, sometimes that's bad, and he doesn't really seem to have a grasp of how to run a country, how to do national security, how to do diplomacy. And then they go, and he could launch a nuclear strike if he wanted to. And so they've been going back and forth. But it, I, I tend to side with you, Rick. I, If you're going to be president, you're in for a penny, in for a pound. You can't start creating these uh, bloated protocols for using the nuclear triad in self-defense. You can't do it. It's too slow. And uh, you, the whole idea is that we tell all of our adversaries... We can bring it very quickly, and it'll be devastating. And we don't we don't have to have a debate. Like the president has that authority, um, if 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 a trigger is met for him to do it. So this is this is more of the kind of recovering from Trump and trying to figure out a way to shackle uh, the elected leaders so that they won't misbehave. But it will. I don't. Tim Nichols uh, believes it won't go anywhere. It, like there'll be no oh, support yeah. for it. It
0: can't. It can't. He's got to have the sole authority. He's got all the uh, yeah. information, the critical information, and the decisions have to be made quickly, That's not right. by not it. by committee. Um, by right. you know, the squad doesn't need a vote on whether we attack wh- whomever if right. uh, if that if that trigger is met. Yeah, and there's no. no debate
1: there's no argument there's no filling people in and then asking for their opinion the timelines are too short you know you just have to the president will always have the most information always have the most information and so we be, we elect him him or her based on the judgment that they have with the most information not all information but the most right so right. it's crazy talk
0: yeah, I agree, because, I mean, we were just talking about Syria. He made the unilateral decision to go bomb uh, Syria and, and the Iranians in Syria. So it, is the difference because the new, it's a bigger bomb, I guess? Yeah, stakes uh, are much a lot higher. More, yeah, yeah the stakes are much higher, and maybe that will draw others into that st- sort of uh, uh, conflict. But uh, it's the same thing. You, you know what I mean? It really is. But once, yeah, once higher stakes. Yes, I understand that. Um, but in order to make that launch, nobody's going to just going to make, you know, willy nilly decisions. Say, hey, you know what? I don't like North Korea today. Let's go nuke them. Right. You know, without them doing something first to cause that to happen.
1: And And rational people wouldn't say things like. The button on my desk is bigger than your button. Like now, we're talking about thermonuclear engagement. So we like we try not to turn that into political theater because it's so devastating and so dangerous. But I I think that's just a response, Rick. I think it'll settle down. The thing that Biden needs to do most is just prove that he's competent, prove that he's deliberate, prove that he can work with Congress to get things done because they have very good uh, ideas and opinions. And just kind of like, you know, that after the hurricane's over and the sea flattens and you have like a little bit, like we need that for at least six months. We just need that. And then we'll figure out what the contentious issues are. We're, we're, it looks like we're trending pretty well with COVID. It looks like the Afghan troop withdrawal isn't going to happen. And that uh, they'll keep Why? a small force there. Why? I they'll just, because I think we could sustain a thousand or two thousand troops forever. Um and you can just play whack-a-mole over there. And then Iraq is down to 3,000. So we used to have almost 200,000 troops deployed. Now we have five, 6,000, maybe a little bit more. We can sustain that forever. And uh, it, those issues become less central to American foreign policy. And I think that's—Trump gets credit for beginning that. And actually, Biden is following that uh, right now. He's He's following the kind of— deprioritization of Afghanistan, Afghanistan and Iraq and uh, pivoting uh, resources towards other challenges.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree. I just think if you're going to have troops and whether it be Afghanistan or Iraq, you better have some sort of offensive capability doing something. Yeah. Just having guys sitting on their butts and on a base and eating at the chow hall is not Our presence. We need to have, you know, whether it be special forces, which is probably in this case, is probably the right time to use special forces, small uh, groups from within the country striking at specific targets or people. Um, I think that's very appropriate, but just sitting there and just to say we have troops there means nothing because what what kind of troops are there? Yeah. Some logistics people, some, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Intel, you know, it's just. That's what I have an issue with. So the big question
1: I, I have for you, Rick, is now since we're, you know, this 1,000, 2,000 people sustainable, the SEAL teams grew, the Rangers grew, the, the Green Berets grew, the Air Force Special Operations uh, folks grew, the, all the Army stuff grew for CT. Who's going to be the one that restructures these organizations for russia china And for the threats, like it's going to we're going to break a lot of rice bowls to reorient the military. And, you know, how have you seen that you came in right at the end of Vietnam? So you saw folks focus in one direction and then your next conflict was very different than the first one. Right.
0: Right. Absolutely. I think you talk about the expansion of special forces. I think it's going to downsize, believe it or not, naturally, Mm. because I think at least on the SEAL side, we've been at war for 20 plus years right other before that for the, for the previous 20 years 30 years it was just like individual small little conflicts lasted a week or two a month at the most and everybody went home um but we were at, constantly at war for 20 years and now all these guys that are used to that are gonna say you know this is different now i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna move on or the new guys that come in realize, hey, this isn't anything like I thought it was going to be. It's all going to be peacetime. I'm going to be a peacetime SEAL. And I think it's going to naturally, you know, they're not going to be able to sustain the numbers they have now. Just because the whole reason that you become a SEAL or a special operator is to act. And acting in your own country, training every day is just not the, uh, not. I don't think it's going to be sustainable for the the guys that are volunteering for this you're not so. the first
1: person i've heard say that and i i have a hard time getting my arms around that so you're saying that people join the special operations forces uh and would be disappointed if they didn't get a war is yes.
0: that what you're saying yeah absolutely
1: how do you know when you're 18 and uh your your nom de is the dairy prince of wisconsin and you show up at uh, Navy SEAL training that you're going to get a war. How do you know?
0: You don't. But I had a, enough of them through my career to keep me to keep me going, keep me focused at the purpose. Um, okay. I th- I don't think. Um, well, as you know, you know I was at SEAL Team Six for many many years, so there's always something going on there and it was always you we either about the launch or we did launch and uh so i was you know we were busy right so but if i was at uh, let's say seal team two uh doing constant rotations over in wherever europe yeah it would be a great time but at a certain point you're like man I, ca- I need to do something more than this and from in my life you okay. know yeah that i guess that's From a SEAL perspective, I can't speak for the Army Special Forces or the Marines to be that. No, I've I've heard it from
1: a number of different groups and it just, to me, it's like this, it just does not compute. Like this idea that, look, unless I'm given a war, I can't, I'm not going to stay in because I'm just not that interested in being kind of peacetime, highly trained, ready force that's inadequate uh, to serving. And, And what I'm saying, Rick, is, you're not the first guy that's told me that, and I've heard it repeatedly from other SEALs. I've heard it from Army uh, folks, and they go, "If if we're not gonna, you know, actually have active combat, I'm getting out." And I look, right. at, I look at, it and I go, well, "How's that?" How do you
0: know? I mean, wait. well, you don't know. It, it, I, I, it's a prediction, and we won't know for time if we're doing this ten years from now. And we're doing this podcast. We'll say, "Hey, I was right or I was wrong." But uh, yeah, it's just uh, my it's my feeling. It's just like being a marine on a, on a on a float, or yeah, yeah, where they where they ride ships. So if yeah. you did that for the, your career, yeah. how how many marines would stay in and do that? Nobody. Well, yeah, they but the Marine Corps doesn't see they would go do something else. Yeah. They would go do something else within the Marine Corps.
1: Yeah. The Marine Corps doesn't let you stay in fighting units very long, unlike in the SEALs. So you do that and then they make you go do some miserable job uh, in the <laughs> Pentagon or something. And so when you come back, you're super excited to um you know just just get out at sea with other Marines and do deployments because because when you're back they, they as at least as an officer they rotate you into jobs that you hate staff and rifle range and training and you know all that other type of stuff so it was enough to perpetuate you because of the change of location but if you're a seal sitting on your gear for 20 years and never get to use it I could you know I, I might be able to understand that
0: Well as as an officer what was your favorite cake Cake Yeah yeah uh, well, uh, you're, you're, new- you're, you're a well known cake eater. So yeah. I wanted to know what, <laughs> do you like chocolate, vanilla?
1: Well, because
0: uh, as you it, know, the enlisted men make the cake and then they, we serve it to the officers.
1: Well, yeah. And then you take it away when I'm completed. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: birthday, the Marine Corps birthday cake is my favorite cake. November 10th, big cake, cake cutting ceremony. First That's piece right. goes to the oldest Marine, second piece, or youngest Marine, second piece goes to the oldest Marine. They hand it to each other, we read stuff, and we remember why we're there.
0: Is it the uh, youngest and oldest Marine from that location, or do they actually have a national one where they find the youngest Marine and the very oldest Marine? It's like fraternity
1: rush. They know when they get in the building, they, you know, they'll ask all the Marines how old they are, and oh, they'll, so, they'll sort it okay. right there. Um, and so that's why I don't go to the ones anymore, because now i'm the oldest marine and I don't, want, <laughs> I don't want the piece of cake so
0: oh i wouldn't i wouldn't even know that one because i'm definitely not the oldest
1: yeah but uh, we we check I, and uh and then if, I, in their formal ceremonies they'll identify the youngest and they'll say like you know private first class rick kaiser was born in 2004 and is serving in second battalion second <laughs> marines and you know, and they make a big deal out of it. And, and, you know, all the colonels are saying, you know, I was a, I, you know, I was a lieutenant colonel in 2004 or whatever. Um, but they, they make a big deal out of it for heritage and to kind of acknowledge the passing from uh, old to young of the traditions and the heritage. And um, it's pretty good. They do a good job. And the cake is always really good because Marines have <laughs> excellent cooks and bakers. Yeah.
0: You know, I have been picked a couple times for being the best looking and most humble SEAL so I I mean that's the only thing I can relate it to yeah and the the one who lies with the
1: greatest of ease yeah
0: exactly exactly (laughs) you know we're uh but that's that's funny I know I'm only joking I'm not the best looking seal I'm I'm top five but um (laughs) if you don't think if you're in the seals or in special forces and you don't think you're the best seal then you need to be looking for a different job yeah you know what I'm saying it's like if you don't believe in your mind that you're that good. There's sure. no need being there because all those other guys believe that, and yeah. you got to keep up with them, and girls. Right now I guess yes. So, um,
1: and you, you're glad to go to the boss if there's an operation coming up and they only need five seals. Uh, you're going to go to the boss's house to convince him that you're you should be one of those five
0: uh, before right, the other right.
1: five get there, right?
0: Uh, absolutely. Next subject, I was. Uh, we we're at the leadership conference. They're asking about uh, psychological well-being and uh, testing and that kind of stuff. And uh, they were surprised to learn that, you know, we constantly go through testing. Um, and uh, one thing I learned from one of one of the, the shrinks that was uh, interviewing me uh, was that on the bell curve, you know, SEALs are like right on the line between, you know, productive citizens and criminals, right? So obviously some are way to the left some are way to the right and they're the, they're the ones in prison now uh, but i found that really interesting and when i thought about it i was like yeah you know what you got it you have to have that sort of mindset to be able to do you know what what we were doing yeah. you have to be able to go to you know to take that next step uh not criminally but you have to have that, that mindset to, to do whatever it takes to to, to yeah. win
1: well you have to i mean i think seals have a couple characteristics that And I'd like to hear your um, thoughts on it. Number one is they're a little anti-authoritarian. Like they don't like they like people to tell them what they want to uh, be, what they want to accomplish, but they don't like people micromanaging. They like to figure it out at the very, very bottom level.
0: I got one of those sitting right right with me.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know her. Yeah. (laughs) Number two, uh, they are curious problem solvers. So you give them a problem, and uh, you think, well, there's four or five solutions. They come up with twenty five. Uh, different solutions. Some of them you have no idea where they came from. And number three, um, they like this idea of decentralized everything. Execution, planning, uh, ingenuity, kind of, you know, like a jazz band that riffs um, <laughs> off of each other. And so you don't want to uh, dissuade that. That's why I think in some cases, tactically, the Seals uh, would outperform the Army because the, the like they create a harmony of creativity whereas the Army is very Rigid. Even regimented, the yeah. special operations soldiers are rigid. You know, you've worked with them in motivation. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, how do you foster that without allowing it to become the biker gang criminal? And uh, that's really a, a question for you.
0: Wow, you have to. We go back to the beginning of the uh, podcast. You have to have uh, accountability, and you have to have consequences. And some of it has to be cut and dry, black and white, no gray area. So if you do this, this is what happens. But unfortunately, we don't have that. And that's how you get the biker gang criminal guy because he's he wasn't reprimanded or he wasn't corrected when he made that first mistake. And it was just pushed aside or ignored or uh, downplayed or the guy that was doing it with him was a senior guy. <laughs>
1: yeah. And <laughs> so he's in an you...
0: environment where it's okay. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah. That's how you fix that one.
1: I, I agree with you. I think that's that should be step one, and I'd like to see, um, I'd like to see more leadership in that regard. I mean, that w- I think it would help the special operations community. Oh,
0: abso- absolutely, uh, absolutely. You read
1: about uh, so General Clark put out the sixty-page. You probably haven't read it, but comprehensive review of special ops, and they talked a lot about a lot of lower-level ethics problems with uh, people not knowing what they're supposed to be doing, with really inferior training. And he said all of these little conditions manifested in bad things happening when it came to the battlefields. Like, it, you know, the, how, it, how you make a special yes. operations team uh, is so critical to once you turn them loose over there. And he's saying that the creation of these teams is, um, is insufficient, and the because of that you get bad things in Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria and other a- places
0: absolutely and, it's, and things that we would think are, aren't that big or people would think that, that aren't that big of a deal like um, you take a government credit card and you go to a strip joint or you go out to dinner and use your when you're not supposed to that should be immediately dealt with unless it was an honest mistake but guess what when you're in a strip club let's say I was in one once uh, and, you pull out your, that, yeah. and you pull out your government credit card there's no mistake in it unless you're so <laughs> drunk you can't see right so okay maybe once that happens but the second time that guy <laughs> should be dealt with just and that's just one of you know a thousand examples and it isn't it's just you know, pay, pay the bill and move on. But then they yeah. just get away with the next thing and the next thing. And it's just, it's just stupid. Well, or you go out and use a yeah. uh, 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 government credit card to buy a bunch of crossbows because you think you're going to go out and stealthily take out sentries or something like that. And it's like, I don't know what SEAL team <laughs> that would ever do that, but everybody in the, in the squadron now has a, their own crossbow. It's like, really? And, um, Tomahawk
1: also. Let's make sure yeah. we understand that Tomahawk is also relevant to today's exactly.
0: world, right? Immediately yeah, yeah. should be yeah. crushed.
1: Yeah. Well, I, this brings back a recollection, um, and I don't. I, I'll, I'll try not to share anything that's sensitive. But you and I, uh, working in ops, and these zany requests coming up for <laughs> like really expensive vehicles, <laughs> and you like you, you triage. Just like this is a like this is the dumbest of dumb ideas. And this is what will happen. They'll never use these vehicles. They'll never maintain them. We'll, you know, we'll have them in the motor pool. They'll be incredibly expensive. And when the mission finally comes up, they'll want different vehicles. And, uh, and, and they go like, hey, Kaiser, shut up and sit down. <laughs> so they, they get the vehicles, and they're never used, and they're poorly maintained. And when you know, a mission comes up, we have to buy new
0: ones. Does that sound yeah. familiar? Yeah, it really does. (laughs) And we have to have special people that can drive them because they're so specialized. Yes. Oh, well. (laughs) It's only money, Tim. It's only millions of dollars. I love that story.
1: Yeah. 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 Taxpayers don't mind uh, wastefulness. Well, I think those are. uh, we've covered a number of interesting topics today. Uh, I think that's going to wind us up. You've been listening to the Friendly Fire podcast. You can find the podcast in either Apple Podcasts or the Navy SEAL Museum website, NavySEALMuseum.org. And uh, for Rick Kaiser down at Fort Pierce, I'm Tim Nichols up in North Carolina. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Thanks.
0: Thank you.